If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Brilliant. Why don't we pray for the kids as they go out? That'd be good. Father, we thank you for our um, Globe Minis. We thank you for these precious little children that you've granted to our church. And Father, we ask that you would bless them. Pray you'd give them a great time, help Adriana as she teaches. And I pray that you would um, turn your face towards each of those children and show them your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Okay, so we're going to start in Romans 8, but as probably you've got used to if you've been around for the last few weeks, we don't tend to stay in one place. We're in a series where we're trying to get a bigger picture of different things. We've got two weeks left of this series. Today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Next week we're going to talk about singing. And then we're going to dive back into a Bible book, which is our more normal pattern of teaching. But sometimes it's good to take a step back and say, what does it mean to encounter God and we've thought about all sorts of things so far. We've thought about encountering God, being expectant, preparing ourselves before we come to approach God. we thought about prayer. we thought about uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, serving, loads of different ways that we encounter God. And today, we're going to think particularly about the role of the Holy Spirit in us encountering God. We're going to start with a passage in Romans 8, which I'm going to mention later on, but it's a beautiful passage, and I thought it would be a good place to, to begin. So Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I'm a bit nervous this afternoon because I fear that this talk is going to be unsatisfying. (laughs) Because there is so much that could be said and should be said about this subject of the Spirit that by necessity we're only going to skate over the surface. So I'm going to say a load of things which I hope, and I'll show you them from the Bible, which I hope are helpful in beginning conversations. But this is something we need to keep talking through, keep working through together. So there's my caveat, if you find yourself being frustrated that I didn't say more on this. We'd have been here all day, and no one wants that. Particularly when the lionesses are kicking off very soon. Um, But here's where we're going to start. When you encounter God, in order to be able to encounter God, the only way that is possible is through Jesus. That is the only way. Because Jesus is the only one who opens up the way to God. Jesus came to die for our sin to open the way to God. 
By nature, we would be shut out from God's presence, but Jesus tears the curtain down and says, come in. So let's get that clear. To encounter God, only Jesus can do that. There is no way to encounter God without Jesus. Any spiritual experience you might have that is not through Jesus is not encountering the true God. It is only Jesus. He is the only way. And for some of you, that 30 seconds that I've just said, that's actually the thing you most need to hear. If you're sitting here and think, well, I've never really encountered God, I don't really know God, well, please, that's where you start. You come through Jesus. He is the most extraordinary human being who's ever walked this planet. A man of immense purity and love. A man who loves so much that he would go to die on a cross so that you could know God. Without him, you would be shut out from God's presence forever. But with him, you can come this afternoon and know God as your father. Without Jesus, it's impossible to encounter God. But here's the second thing I want you to know. Without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to encounter God. So I think we're quite used to the idea that, we, that Jesus you know, is essential. But actually, the Holy Spirit is essential for us if we're going to encounter God. You can't know anything or experience anything of God without the Spirit. Just again, as to fill in some blanks, I know that many of us would know this, but let's just make sure we're filling in the blanks as we go. When we talk of God, we are talking of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is what we mean by the Trinity. We come to the Father through the Son, but we come to the Father by the Spirit. You see, the Spirit is the one who makes it possible for us to come. So look, without the Spirit... The work of Jesus on the cross would be worthless. Because it is the Spirit of God who takes the work of Jesus and makes it real for us. So in John chapter 3, it is the Spirit of God who gives us new birth, who transforms us from inside. It's the Spirit of God who gives us eyes to see what is true. That's Ephesians chapter 1, the Spirit of revelation, so that you can understand. It's the Spirit of God who gives us new life. You see that in Ezekiel 37 or in Colossians. Sorry, I know I'm checking out verses, but don't worry about writing them down particularly. But, but in Colossians 2, it says you were once dead in your sins, but now you've been made alive. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit is the one who indwells us, who comes to live in us. The Bible talks of us being the temple that God lives in by His Spirit. The Spirit is the one who empowers us, who gives us gifts. So if you're going to encounter God, you can't encounter Him without the Spirit of God. And this afternoon, we're going to push into that a little bit more, that idea of encountering God through the Spirit, because I think that our tendency can sometimes be to sideline the work of the Spirit. Because we so want to elevate Jesus, rightly, 
we so want to talk of him and his death on the cross that sometimes we can almost act as though the spirit is sort of secondary or or not that important. He can get pushed out (laughs) in our thinking. And this afternoon, I just want us to focus in again on this beautiful spirit. But I think it's also true to say that if you've been around church for a little while, you may at times have found yourself feeling slightly confused about the work of the Spirit. Because many churches would agree on the the truth of Jesus and his death on the cross, and that seems very quite clear and quite agreed on by many churches. But then you look at the Spirit, and there seems to be a whole bunch of different views and what the Spirit does and what we should expect. That could leave us feeling quite confused, right? And I guess I'm talking particularly then, as we push into that, into the gifts of the Spirit. Perhaps you've heard of things like speaking in tongues. That's like a, um, a, a praying. There's, there's various... Um, I haven't got time to do all of this stuff that we've got to get through. But speaking in tongues is, in the book of Acts, speaking in tongues is speaking other languages. That's very clear, that people can understand. So when the gospel was being preached, someone who I'm speaking, um, suddenly able to speak French, which as many of you will be able to testify, I cannot speak French. I had a whole conversation with a French couple once, and I was doing incredibly well. It was going really well. They were telling me all about how they come down from Paris to ski in the mountains and because there's good snow in the mountains. I was like, wee, wee, wee. And um, I, afterwards, I spoke to my friend who was there who speaks French and said, didn't I, I understood? And they said, that wasn't what she was saying. She was talking about how the, the planes get, um, how the planes have to be de-iced in the winter. I was like, oh, disappointing. And the gift of tongues in the book of Acts is the ability to speak in a language that you haven't learned, but an ability to speak by the power of the Spirit. That still happens today in places. And there's another, um, but there's another type of speaking tongues in 1 Corinthians, which I think is much more about a private prayer language. A language that the Spirit enables you to speak. But perhaps when you don't quite know what to pray, you, you, you feel overwhelmed with joy or overwhelmed with sorrow, and you're not sure what to pray, and you, you articulate noise that you don't know what it you don't know necessarily what it is, but it's the Spirit who's enabling you to pray in those moments. Or prophecy. Speaking God's truth into specific situations. And these are the t- sorts of things that can make us feel quite confused because we think, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't know what different people have got different experiences. And in this room, we'll have different experiences. And we think, I don't know. Well, here's what, here's what I'm going to try and do. Just try and give you a few little markers that might help just to orient us, I hope. Let me put three words up um, on the screen. Um, because I think that we can fall into one of these three categories. Firstly, we can feel unsettled. Perhaps you go into a meeting or a situation where something happens and it just leaves you feeling, what was that about? So I remember as a teenager being in a meeting. Um, I was from a church where the, the spirit was spoken of, but there, there wasn't an expectation of... Um, 
specific uh, instances of his working directly in people's lives in that moment. You understand what I mean in a second. When I went on this camp, I was in this room full of um, teenagers, and the guy at the front said, the Holy Spirit's coming now. And everybody around me fell over. And I stood there. I felt, I felt quite conspicuous. And I was very, very unsettled. Like, seriously, it really rocked me. And the next night, they did it again, and I thought, oh, I'm wobbling, I'm wobbling. I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> and I went and sat in the field, and I cried, because I, I thought, why, God, won't you do that for me? And I reckon that there'll be a lot of us in this room who felt like that at times. And perhaps you've got friends, and they just seem to speak of experiences they've had, and you've never had them. And it leaves you thinking, am, am I really a Christian? <laughs> Or if I'm a Christian, why doesn't God do that for me? And I think it leaves lots of us feeling unsettled. So if that's you this afternoon, let me be really crystal clear about something. There are some things that the Spirit does for every single Christian. And there are some things that the Spirit gives to some, not others. The, the things that the Spirit does for every single Christian is the Spirit comes and he shows you Jesus. The Spirit comes and he makes you alive. The Spirit comes and he turns you around. The Spirit comes and he makes you understand the gospel. The Spirit comes and suddenly you go, I get it. The Spirit comes and he shows you your sin. He shows you that you failed. He shows you that you need saving. The Spirit comes into every Christian and enables you to help you to fight the battle. The moment you become a Christian, the Spirit is given to you. And therefore, you should have confidence. You're not a second-class Christian. You have the Spirit of God in you. And therefore, when you see that God gives some gifts to others, but not to some others, you say, that's okay, because God will give me the gifts I need. And therefore, we can chill out a little bit. Right? We can say, it's all right. If you go through the whole of your lives and never ever see a miracle, that's okay. Because God has done the greatest miracle in raising Jesus from the dead and saving you from your sin and pouring out his spirit on you. He's given you everything you need. If you go through the rest of your life and you don't experience this or don't have this moment or don't have this feeling, that's okay. Because our faith doesn't rest on that. It rests on what God has done in Jesus. But I think the danger can be that that leads to the second. That might make us then become the second person, where we basically are unbothered. And we go, great, well, I don't have to worry about all that weird stuff then. I can just ignore that and go, fine, let's just pretend all that stuff doesn't really exist. There seems to be some people over here who like, not you people, there seems to be some people, some Christians over here, they seem quite into that stuff, we're not into that stuff, so we'll just get on and ignore it. I want to say that's a mistake too. Actually, the Bible says that we should desire the gifts. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, desire spiritual gifts. He says, desire that God would give you gifts. And so rather than becoming unsettled about it and freaked out, we should neither become unbothered and just go, well, fine, I'm not, I don't care. God has good gifts for us. 
So I, as I read the New Testament, I think the gifts that the Spirit gives are still available today. I think they are given at God's um, decision. He chooses how to do that. He knows the gifts that we need for certain times. I think as you look at church history, you can see there are certain times when God says, actually, this gift is really needed now. Other times, no. But actually, an expectation, a desire that says, God, would you give us what we need? And therefore, an openness to listen. See, here's the thing. In a church family, right, and we're a church family, we have different experiences. We have different understandings. We've been in different backgrounds and different traditions. And the danger is that this is what we do. Okay, well, let's, mm, let's just pretend that we all, let's just talk about what we agree about. Because <laughs> then at least we won't fall out with each other. I'm like, No. Let's talk about the things that we've experienced and the things that we've understood. And let's learn from each other. Let's listen to what each other is saying. Without feeling suspicious and critical. Because this is what happens normally when someone says, you know, let's play out the scene, all right? Let's play out a little scene. Here's um, someone and here's someone else. And this someone comes and says, um, Oh, I had this amazing experience. I was speaking. I was praying, and as I was praying, I had this. This verse came into my head for you. Your name and this verse came into my head for you, and I just want to tell you. And this person over here says, "Well, I don't think God does that sort of thing, so I'm not interested." You see that now we've got a problem, right? Actually, I think what we need to do as a church family is listen to one another and love one another and trust one another that our motives are good and that we need to learn together. And sometimes that means we need to listen and be open-minded to say, perhaps my understanding of the Bible is not exactly right. By the way, I've been preaching for, I don't know, 20 years or so. The more I preach, the more I'm pretty convinced that my understanding of the Bible is not completely right. <laughs> I'm learning all the time. If you've never changed your mind about anything, that should bother you a bit. <laughs> because actually the Bible is God teaching us. So I want to encourage us to be bothered about these things, to have conversations, to feel like you can say it, and to feel like if you're someone who says, actually, I... I I think I do have a, an understanding of a, an experience of God's Spirit where it's really helped, He's really helped me in my praying or in my evangelism or He's really helped me in something. That you feel able to share that in such a way that other people aren't going to go, you're weird. But actually, He's going to say, wow, I'd love to hear more about that. I'd love to understand more about that. Without this person then feeling like, oh, I'm so rubbish. I want that experience. I want that. I want that. Because it may be that God isn't going to give you that. <laughs> Because he'll give you what you need. I hope this is making some sense. The third, re- the third way that I think we can make a mistake, though, is that we then become undiscerning. And that is that basically we become gullible. Because the tragedy is that over the years, spiritual gifts have been used to do great harm in the church. 
wrongly used, they can be very manipulative. If I come to you and I say, listen, I think God has told me this about you. That's quite, that's quite a big thing for me to say. And people can feel under massive obligation to obey that because, well, God said it. And I want to encourage us to use language which lowers the, t- lowers the temperature, not heightens it. So rather than coming and saying, I have a word from the Lord for you right now. You need to go to China. Actually, you could say, I've been praying for you, and I I don't know, have you ever thought about China? Has that ever been something that's been on your mind? And sometimes people go, yeah, I've been learning Mandarin. (laughs) It's something like that, right? I think that's the sort of stuff that, that there's a kind of... <laughs> it's all right. It's fine. It's, it's a very common noise now in preaching. The kind of metal water bottles are, are fun. Um, but that, that's, the way, that's the way I think that we could learn to use this. In a way which doesn't heap up pressure, doesn't heap up um, expectation, but actually comes alongside and lovingly says. Because the, the reality is that we do need to be discerning. Not everything that claims to be spiritual is spiritual. Not everything that claims to be miraculous is miraculous, and not everything that claims to be of the Spirit is truly of the Spirit. In a number of places, um, particularly in 1 John chapter 4, John says, test the spirits. Test it. You have no obligation to accept something that someone says to you because the Spirit said it. You're supposed to test the Spirit. Which brings me to where we're going to kind of wrap this up and hopefully make this something helpful for you. How do you test? I'm going to give you four tests. Right? This, is what, this is what you should be looking for in a genuine work of the Spirit. Um... We'll go through this quite quickly, and then hopefully you'll see how this might be useful. The first one, let's have it up on the screen. Um, the first one is the assurance test. Right. The reason I started with Romans 8, if you've got it open in front of you, I want you to see in Romans 8 that the Spirit doesn't make you a slave to live in fear. The Spirit assures you that you are God's child. So a genuine work of the Spirit will always lead to a deeper assurance that you belong to God and you are His, and that He loves you. A work of the Spirit will not produce fear. It may, the work of the Spirit may produce um, guilt in terms of conviction of sin, but that is guilt that will lead you to God for forgiveness, not to a place of fear. And so if you find something that someone is claiming is a work of the Spirit, but actually is leading to a a slavery or a fear or a control or anything like that, that's not a work of the Spirit. Because the Spirit will always lead you to a deeper confidence in your sonship, your, your daughterhood of God. You see, the Spirit, I love this, the Spirit causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. Right, listen, next time you hear someone pray, 
and they start, Our Father, that is a miracle. The only reason anyone would call God Father is if the Holy Spirit had done a miracle in their life. Because it's the Spirit who causes us to cry out to God as Father. But you see, that doesn't seem as exciting, does it, as someone who comes with a kind of spectacular prophecy or whatever. But that is the Spirit's work. We We mustn't miss the beautiful assurance that the Spirit is giving. So assurance. The second test is the, um, let's have the next one up, the Jesus test. Um, <laughs> what do I mean? What I mean is the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, right? He is the Spirit of Christ. So when Jesus left the earth in John 14, he said, I'm going to send you another counselor, the Spirit, to be with you. And so the Spirit is all about Jesus. The Spirit, that Jesus said, he will take from me and make it known to you. The Spirit's great desire is that Jesus would be glorified. The Spirit's great desire is that Jesus would be known. The Spirit's great desire is that people would fall down and worship Jesus. He is the... That's what he's all about. And the extraordinary thing is, if you read through the Gospels, the life of Jesus, you discover over and over again that the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, was working with Jesus in his earthly ministry. The Holy Spirit filled Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit led Jesus. The Holy Spirit um, gave Jesus the words to speak. Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, when the Spirit comes, it's going to be all about Jesus. So when you hear someone say to you, I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. I want to tell you something about Jesus that's great. That's the Spirit at work. And if you go to a church or you listen to something, you think, they don't mention Jesus very much. Just leave. That's not a Spirit-filled church. A Spirit-filled church will talk about Jesus all the time. Because that's what the Spirit does. And therefore, if we're thinking about how we might begin to understand what it means to prophesy, we will talk about Jesus. That's what we'll do. We'll talk about him and his beauty and his attributes, and we'll we'll point people to Jesus. That's the Jesus test. Here's the third one. Um, The unity test. And and in some ways, this is the one I, I, I want to kind of that I think is probably the most helpful for us right now. I mean, they're all helpful. But um, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of unity. Ephesians chapter 4 says, keep the unity of the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God is the one who brings us together, who builds us up, which means that you can spot when the Spirit is at work when people are being brought together in unity and when people are being built up and up and up. And you can spot when the Spirit isn't at work when there is division, when there is fighting, when there is pride, 
when there's arrogance, when there's tearing each other down, when there's a kind of jostling for position, where people are using spiritual gifts in order to try and make a name for themselves, in order to show how great they are. You say, that's not the spirit at work. Which I think is one of the greatest tragedies, really, that one of the biggest causes of division in the church has been over the role of the spirit. And that churches have been destroyed because of the differences of opinion on the work of the Spirit. And you're like, guys, no. The Spirit is the one who unites us and who binds us together. And therefore, this is what I was meaning earlier, as a family, we're to trust each other and to listen to each other and to seek together to work out what we do. I think um, Matt gave us a little window, an insight into um, his family, which I thought was a beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> but the reality about families is they're weird, aren't they? Like the Davis family. I mean, you're weird. Yeah. <laughs> but all families are weird. And you do things in your family that no one else would do. And then someone comes into your family, you think they're completely normal. And they sit down at the meal table or something, and you start to do something that to you is perfectly normal, and your friend just is like, you're weird, what are you doing? Churches are families, which means that churches should be weird. <laughs> what I mean is that churches will develop ways of doing things that are us, right? It's the way we do it. And it may not be the way that the church down the road does it, and it may not be the way the church I used to go to does it, but it's the way we do it. And we've learned that together, and we keep looking at that together, and we keep thinking, because we're saying, Spirit, we want you to bind us together in unity. We want you to teach us together. But see, the moment someone starts to use their spiritual gifts in order to... Um, so seeds of division, well, then you know the Spirit is not at work. So I had someone once say to me, um, John, what would you do if I just stood up? Not, it was, this wasn't a globe. They said, what, what would you do if I just stood up in church and started speaking in tongues? What would you do? Because the Bible says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. What would you do? Um, I said, I'd ask you to stop because you wouldn't be doing it lovingly because that's not a loving thing to do in a setting where you basically say, right, well, I'm going to do what I want. This is what I want to do, therefore I'm going to just do it. But there are loving ways to do it. So let's talk about that. <laughs> do you see what I mean? It's, it's not trying to push your agenda, trying to make your thing. Wherever you sit on the thing, but actually saying, how can I help my brothers and sisters? How can we move forward a little bit? How can we learn together so that we're united in it? And the fourth thing, the fourth test, um, before we finish, um, is the holiness test. The clue's in the name, right? The Holy Spirit. So any experience of the Spirit will lead to greater holiness, will lead to greater likeness to Jesus. Any feeling that you might have, you know, you might go to a big event and you have an emotional experience, and think, oh, maybe that was the Spirit. 
You can't tell that until a few weeks later. You can't really know until a few weeks later. Have you changed? Have you been transformed? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't, he's not interested in giving you a nice emotional experience for a few minutes. He's interested in changing you for the rest of your life. And I know plenty of people who've had extraordinary experiences, emotional experiences, which have been overwhelmingly emotional to them, and it made not one bit of difference to the way they lived their life. That's not the spirit. But I know others who've had extraordinary experiences and emotional experiences, and it's completely transformed them. Praise God. You see, we're not trying to see just the moment. We're trying to take a bigger perspective. So guys, there's, there's, um, there's, a, load of, there's a load of stuff. <laughs> um, I think the things I really want you to hold on to are the Spirit is essential if we're going to encounter God. There are some things which he does for every single Christian. Be assured, you're his if you're trusting Christ, if, you, if you've come to God through Jesus, you're filled with the Spirit, you're loved by God, you are his child. You've been raised from death to life. Those are the big things the Spirit does. And then let's think and pursue and explore. Not freaking out, not getting unsettled, but let's explore what the Bible has to say on these other subjects. Talk to each other, listen to each other, don't just stay within one little group where you all agree with each other. Have these conversations. You'll learn loads just by talking. And you'll, you'll be able to get the Bible open together. And you may come to different opinions, and that's okay. Because we're a family. I don't agree with my brothers on everything. I still love them. And therefore, along we'd be a church family where we can be like that. Someone once said to me, John T, is Globe Church a charismatic church or a conservative church? And I said, I haven't got a clue. We're a church that loves Jesus. We want to be empowered by the Spirit. Let's do that. Let's not settle for labels. Let's pursue Christ. Um, I'm going to lead this in prayer, and then we're going to have some time to pray together and think this through a little bit more. Father, we pray for your help. We praise you so much for Jesus, who makes the way open, and we praise you for the Spirit, who makes it possible for us to come, for us to see, for us to understand, for us to have new hearts. Thank you for that massive work of the Spirit that you've done in every single Christian's life. And Lord, as we explore the other things the Spirit does, as we try and grapple with some of these different things that we have different experiences of, we pray that we'd be open to your word, listen to what your Spirit says in his word, that we'd listen to one another, and that you teach us how to do this more. In Jesus' name, amen.